Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, Herstory heroes, and welcome back to your regularly scheduled whining about Herstory. No more spooky women for us over here. Well, not regularly anyways. Um, so as I said, this is Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two longtime gal pals talk about forgotten women from history and chug wine while doing it. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And I'm so glad to be back with some women who haven't just murdered a bunch right? of people. Like, I'm like, oh, these are like way more uplifting. Or been wronged in some horrific way because we had a couple of those too. Yeah, so. right? Like daughters being like, yeah, my mom's a witch. She's fucking Satan on his sex island right? drinking mojitos. So we're going to try to bring you some more uplifting stories this week. Try. 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 Mine... Made me cry, but for good reasons. No, I don't like, know if I want to cry. Well, I mean, I will, but I'm gonna whine cry. Whine cry. <laughs> so even though we're abandoning the felonious uh, females, felonious fe- females, the villains of history, I couldn't help but pick a wine that was like a good send off for them. So this week I picked some Electra Moscato. Ooh. So for all of you ladies who really want to murder your mothers and fuck your fathers. This one's for you. The back reads, Electra Moscato is a low-alcohol, delicately sweet, wine-refreshingly crisp and mysteriously aromantic, aromatic. The wine is not aromantic. It does not have a sexual preference or identity. Every bottle is bursting with flavors of fresh peaches, refreshing citrus, and perfectly ripe melon. The ideal picnic wine, it goes well with just about everything. Salad, spicy food, fruit, dessert, holiday parties, blue skies, and fresh air. Painting by Artisan Phillips, serve chilled refrigerate refrigerate after (laughs) opening. I twice saw a putty cat. (laughs) Here's the thing. I fucking love this wine. I took a sip before we started recording. And and I I haven't tried it yet. I wish I had it on recording because I lost my mind. We have been drinking so many reds that I was like. The the last four at least. Yeah. So I'm like, we need a fruity, fun, light wine. So Kelly, what would you like to cheers to this week? For you finally getting your building permit. I finally got my building permit approved. So now I get to tackle a whole new mess of problems. But still, it's been a process. Step forward. Also, it is Charlie's adoptiversary. Today? I have had my little chief Aww. for four years. Yes. I wow. love him so much. That seems like so a long much. time. I know. He's going to be five in April. I know. It's crazy. It is. He needs to stop getting old and fat. <laughs> he's not that old. He's getting a little fat, he's a little but he's not fat. that old. Weird thing, the vet doesn't seem to care. The vet's like, well, he's carrying it well, because he's not like he a is. sausage like, he's not like He's not like a round, you know, like ball, but he's he's bigger than he was. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I like to think he's just very muscular, because for him to it's jump just, on it's anything. Just his, it's just his winter pooch. <laughs> it's his winter pooch from three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cheers to building permits and fat cheese. Ooh, I oh, want to yeah, be on really the river. Good. I I want to get like a water this is, bottle this is of like this a summer for tubing. Wine. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good though. Like very, very sweet. This is dangerous because I could probably chug this whole bottle without thinking about it. It's, it's okay. It says it's light in alcohol, or what does it say? Low in low, low in alcohol. alcohol. So, you know, maybe one bottle, fine. one bottle gets you just a touch just right buzzed. <laughs> this will definitely be a refill wine. This is definitely going to be one of those so wines good. where we finish off the bottle for sure. And then, like afterward, we're like, why are we so drunk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Low alcohol, my ass. Right. How much is it? Now I'm curious. Does it actually say? I mean, doesn't it have to say? I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. It's only 4.5%. Oh, it's like that a is, giant wine that is cooler. Low. Yeah. So tastes better. So, my odd one. Yes, it's I odd. get the odd episodes. We, we learned from another podcast called That's Weird that they separate their who speaks by odd and even. And I was like, we should really do that. Because so before every episode, we're like, who goes who first? Who says what? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. This is a podcast? Exactly. What? I didn't know that, you know, with the mics and the computers. Wait, you're telling me women did stuff in history? Right. What? 
That wasn't in my history book. It's all <laughs> a lie. No, no, no. It was just dicks until like 1999. Right. No women did anything there until no the 90s. No vaginas in history. No vaginas, no women, nothing. Also, gay people just came out of the woodwork, too. Gay people didn't exist until the 2000s. So, super quick shout out, Your Queer Story. If you want a queer history podcast that's hilarious and informative, definitely check them out. They're they're amazing. But one of their jokes and the things they reference is that, like, how everyone thinks gay and trans people just came out of nowhere, like they're a millennial invention. It's like, no. It's like, no, we've always been here. <laughs> no one talked about it. It's just we keep getting murdered and persecuted and well, castrated. And it, was, and it was considered a mental health issue for, like, it was in the diagnostic manual for mental health yes. disorders for a long time. Yeah. It was no fun. Yeah. No fun. So quick shout out, your queer story. I love them so much. Anyway, uh, so I'm going first this week yep. and... I was actually inspired to do this lady by an episode of Drunk History because, as you uh, know, I just got finished binging all of that, and it is my life now. <laughs> That's all she thinks about all day. I'm Drunk instead history. of taking notes, I'm just going to read three websites and then try to drunkenly recall <laughs> everything. Okay, here's the rest of the bottle first. You're not going to get dates. You're not going to get the correct names. You That's might- like my favorite part of <laughs> Drunk History when they just say like a random name favorite part of drunk so steven Hawkface. i mean no (laughs) stefan urkel i mean yeah Yeah, i love it but anyway they covered this woman and i had heard of her and i was aware of her but i didn't really know much of her story okay and so i'm gonna dive a little deeper than drunk history did and we're gonna have dates and accurate names because I have four pages of notes. So maybe I mean we'll see. Is it is it English or like could there be mispron- mispronunciation? There was only one pronunciation that I struggled with, and I put it in uh, my pronunciation note. Oh, nice. So and I only have to say that name once, <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. All right, I am covering Maya Ying Lin. Have you ever heard of her? No. I guarantee you know who she is, but you don't, Just don't know you her can't name. connect the name with who it okay. is. So Maya Ying Lin was born in Athens, Ohio on October 5th, 1959. Her mother and father had emigrated from China in 1949 and 1948, respectively. Her parents were academics. Her father, Henry, was the dean of the Ohio University College of Fine Arts and a ceramicist. It's a fun word to say. Her mother, Julia, was a poet and taught literature at the same university. They were definitely not British. I don't know why I'm speaking in a British accent. Like, talking about universities just make you think British things. How Eurocentric is that, though? When I'm trying to sound fancy, I immediately default to a British accent. Colonialism is everywhere, people! Growing up, Maya kept to herself and didn't have a lot of friends. She took great pleasure in academics and studying. In her free time, she took courses at Ohio University. This is where she was first introduced to sculpture. At the university, she would cast bronzes in the foundry. Like, this is super cool. Next level, like 10 year old hobby. Right? I want to, fuck, I'm an adult and I want to do this. Maya was also invested in environmental issues from a young age and were and would participate in environmental activism in her college years. So she's very bright, super creative, right. and a hippie, and I love it. I mean Just hippie in, in the nicest way possible. That's a positive term for me. As you can imagine, there wasn't a large Asian population in Ohio in the 60s right. and 70s. Go figure. In fact, Maya didn't really realize she was Chinese until her 30s. Wow. So that's when she began to explore her cultural background more. But it didn't really register that she was Chinese or Asian. Like, she didn't identify with that part of her heritage or identity. Although I'm sure a lot of people around her, that's literally all they saw in her. Oh, that's oh, I'm the sure. one Chinese that's like the kid one in Chinese Ohio. Person. Yeah, in Ohio. Exactly. <laughs> in the Midwest. Maya graduated from Yale with her Bachelor of Arts in 1981 and then her Master's of Architecture in 1986. Soup's smart. Cheers, Yale girl. Right? That's incredible. 
And it's actually not really a big surprise that Maya took an interest in architecture. Her aunt, Lin Huyin, was an artist and poet and is known for being one of the first, if not the first, female architect in modern China. Oh, that's super cool. There were a bunch of notable things in her ancestry, like she had a bunch of members of her family who were martyrs and some great massacre and all this other cool stuff, but it wasn't super relevant to the story and I already had four pages, but it's like she she seems to come from this long line of like distinguished notable people. That's awesome. All right. This next section is called The Wall. This is not about Pink Floyd. So anyone who's is it about, excited. Like, Trump and his Mexican no. <laughs> no. This is a <laughs> happy I would, story. Then I would definitely leave the podcast. <laughs> no. See, remember, this story will make you cry in a good way. Now, in 1981, while Maya was still an undergraduate at Yale, there was a national contest to design a memorial to honor those who died in the Vietnam War. Oh, oh snap! Oh, snap! I know where this is going now! Two and two are put together and they make four! Yay! Putting the pieces together. The rules of the contest were that the memorial had to include all of the names of those who had fallen or were missing in action and had to be apolitical. As mentioned when I covered uh, Vietnam vs. First Lieutenant Sharon Lane, go check that episode out, the Vietnam War was controversial and bloody, and the goal of the memorial was to honor those who lost their lives during the conflict rather than honor victory or acknowledge defeat. Oh, that's really It nice. was like, that's okay. That's because we didn't really win. Yeah. And we didn't really lose. <laughs> well, and it's like, let's not mention that. <laughs> there was so much controversy around it, but I think the one thing most people could get behind is, a bunch of kids died, and that right? sucks. Very Forrest Gump style. Did you did you ever hear about that? So in that movie, when he's giving the talk to the uh, peace rally people, yep. as a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. he says something, and it makes everyone cry, but it's, like, cut out. Like, his yeah, mic like, cuts out. Yep. It came out that what he actually said was, like, some some guys come home to their mamas with no legs. Some guys don't come come home at all. And I just think that's sad or something like that. I didn't realize he actually like said anything. Honestly, the joke is that he says something so profound that it makes everyone just weep and, you know, contemplate. But it's funny because you don't get to hear it. But exactly. I would have believed that that had that kind of impact. That's right. It's it's a very simple statement. But right after that war, actually, I think during that peace rally was during the war. Yes. Like, that would have been yeah, very profound. Yeah, because he got shot profound. in the ass. Yep, he got shot in the ass. There's one thing you take away from Forrest Gump. He got shot he in got the ass. shot in the ass. Maya had designed a memorial as an assignment for her funerarial architecture class. Does it say funerary cult? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this is how you get... The designs for well, this your is who you funeral. go to. These are the yes. people you go to to be like, okay, I'm her funerary cult director. This is what I want. This is the vision. Okay. I'm thinking Alice in Zombieland, but classy, not super gory, but dark. Right. That would be yours. <laughs> I want to audit this class though. What do you learn? I know. I kind of do in like funerary architecture. architecture it has to be like mausoleums and stuff and memorials yeah. and anything like that interesting i'm not surprised i still want to sit in it i'm not surprised yale offers a class like that because if if anyone's going to offer something that specific it's going to be yale but good god that's incredible i don't think this wine glass was well cleaned oh shit <laughs> there's a little there's bit of just, red no, wine but every time i tip it <laughs> a little bit more comes up. My line is bleeding. Oh my god! Oh, There's a I'm gonna just drink it a little hint of red wine stuck to the bottom of her glass, and it's slowly bleeding into the white. I like look down. I'm like, the fuck is? I that? thought we my were done is, with my Halloween. Line is bleeding. I'm I sorry. thought we were done with this shit. Okay, so anyway, she's designing a memorial for this funerary cult sorry. architecture class. Maya had been inspired by Yale's memorial rotunda which lists the names of Yale alumni who had lost their lives in the service, engraved Aww. in marble. Sound familiar? <laughs> if you put the pieces together, it should. She would watch stonecutters add the names of those who were killed during the Vietnam War, and the power that simple name had made a significant impact on her. Channeling this inspiration into her assignment, Maya designed a memorial for her class that consisted of a V-shaped wall of polished black granite that would be cut into the earth. 
The memorial would include the names of over 58,000 American service members listed chronologically based on the date of their loss. Well, that's kind of cool because a lot of times they usually just go alphabetically. But that makes it really hard to add new people. Like if it's not just for like, like Yale... My guess is that they didn't do it alphabetically because as more wars happen and they no, have no, to no. add more people. This is her design for the memorial that she's doing. Oh, like so, specifically? Uh, okay. So I, so I yeah. If she knew in advance that she's doing it specifically for only one war, yeah. then, that, then that works. Well, and she's desi- she's creating this design for her class. Right? She didn't know. But this contest is going on at the same time. So impressed by Maya's design, her professor encouraged her to enter it into the National Design Contest for the Vietnam War Memorial, or Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Yeah. Excuse me. Hers would be one of over 1,400 submissions wow. that had to be judged. The number of submissions was so overwhelming that judges had to use an Air Force hangar to display all of the entries and review them. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not either, but still, that's intense. Submissions were anonymous to help judges make a decision solely based on quality. So you don't have Mr. Big Shot Architect over here who gets his design chosen because... Because he's a big shot architect. Exactly. Or rich. Or, or rich and white. Or all a of man. the above. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably keep going. Ultimately, the judges selected entry number 1026, Maya's. That's no, awesome. it definitely wasn't her. This isn't actually no. Maya's story. <laughs> no, it is, but she lost, and that's yeah. the end. <laughs> they called it, quote, an eloquent place where the simple meeting of earth, sky, and remembered names contains messages for all. Which is a beautiful statement. Yeah, it is. It's worth noting that the design, which beat out hundreds of other entries from across the nation, only earned Maya a B grade at Yale. Wow. Good enough <laughs> for the nation. Not Subpar for, for Yale. Yale. This made it extra shocking for Maya when the competition officials visited her at her dorm to tell the 21-year-old architecture student that she had won a $20,000 first prize and her design would be used to create a national monument. So when you go, you know I only got a B on it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, $20,000, that'll cover half a credit at Yale. Now, let's remember... Maya was not a trained architect and didn't even have her bachelor's degree yet, which if you remember, her bachelor's degree was in fine arts. Like she ended up getting her master's in architecture. But her initial was fine arts. Right. Maya later remarked, quote, from the very beginning, I often wondered if it had not been anonymous entry 1026, but rather an entry by Maya Lynn, would I have been selected? Probably Probably not. (laughs) Especially considering all of the backlash that came from Maya's design being selected. So it's not like... Like once they announced who she was or just in general? What It could have been a little bit of both, but both Maya and the design received some pushback. Oh, sure. So everyone had something to say about the memorial design and most of it was unkind. Not a lot of Minnesotans in that group. This next section is bulleted because there was so much criticism that it's just easier to read everything off. Okay. Veteran groups disapproved of the lack of patriotic or heroic symbols that were common in most other military memorials. The memorial excludes the names of surviving veterans. Others found offense in how the memorial cut into the earth, arguing that should instead rise up to appear more honorable and proud. There was also complaints of the use of black marble, as some felt it was a shameful and sorrowful color. Yeah, it's supposed to be sad. A bunch of people died. Were you not there? Jesus. Well, and remember, this was the war that... Nobody wanted. Nobody, no, well, a lot of people wanted it, but nobody won. And there was so much controversy, and there was a lot of shame around it. I know, this is the one that we talked that there was, like, no welcome, there was no welcome home for any soldiers. Like, people would shun Vietnam soldiers. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Because people wanted the war, and then suddenly they were like, no, we didn't want this. Well, And it was this terrible, terrible thing. It started going on longer and longer, 
and it didn't feel like any progress was being made. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, why the fuck are we doing this? People started like, protesting. It really got ugly. If you really want to cry, read, like, sol- soldiers talking about, like, coming back from the Vietnam War. No. Like, that's so sad. No. I will not. Because there was, like, no support. That's really heartbreaking. I will cry. <laughs> On my own, I've got enough to cry about. I don't need, like, a laundry list of things to cry about. In the future. (laughs) Some felt the V shape of the design was too similar to a two-finger peace sign, which was commonly used in anti-Vietnam War protests. Here's the thing. Look at a sky view of this. It, it's not. It's a very wide V. Right. Like, but people are, everyone has an opinion. In whatever way they want. Finally, even though Maya was of Chinese descent, the fact that she was an Asian person creating a memorial about the the Vietnam Vietnam War War. didn't sit well with some. So I work with a lot of web design, and I have learned the more people you have in the mix, the more everyone feels like they have to say something, the more useless feedback you got. Some of these points I get, but for the most part, it sounds like people are just literally just looking for anything. Yeah. The opposition for the design was so strong that a businessman who had pledged $160,000 to help with the competition withdrew his support. And Secretary of the Interior James Watt blocked the project until the design was revised. Why even have the contest? Why even have the contest? If you didn't trust what people were going to fucking pick. Anyway, Maya, because she's a fucking queen wouldn't bend to any revisions to her design, but two additions were made against her wishes. They added a 50-foot flagpole for the American flag and an 8-foot-high statue of three soldiers. Frederick Hart, who sculpted the statue called Maya's design, nihilistic. Everyone thinks this is just the most depressing, like, emo, sorrowful memorial ever. They're kind of forgetting why it's there. Right? Like, (laughs) this is a war memorial, guys. But again, no one wanted to, like, feel like shit about, or admit they felt like shit about what had happened. Thankfully, these two additions were placed in such a way that they did not block the wall. So they're not, like, directly in front of or across from the wall. They're at, like, either end. That's kind of what I figured, but... I think I mentioned it later in my notes, but in the 90s, a statue honoring women veterans from Vietnam was added in the area. And again, it's oh, not obstructing anything, but it's a nice little addition. So, okay. So now the design is approved. We've got our flagpole. We've got our statue. We've got our wall. Now it can be constructed. When Maya visited the site of the proposed memorial, she later recalled, quote, I imagined taking a knife and cutting into the earth, opening it up in initial violence and pain that in time would heal. Oh, Fucking that's beautiful. Brilliant. Finally, on November 13th, which is coming up, in 1982, the memorial was unveiled. Just like in Maya's initial drawing, the wall of black polished granite cut into the earth and inscribed upon it were the names of those lost during the Vietnam War. I thought you said it was both. Earlier, you said it was the people that died and the people that were still alive. No. You did. No, it's... That was somebody's criticism. No, their criticism was that it didn't include the names of the living. That's okay. I get mental dyslexia, too. (sighs) So welcome to our men's history podcast. No. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing the memorial extinguished the initial criticism. The New York Times later reported that it was, quote, something of a surprise how quickly America has overcome the divisions caused by the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. The memorial had become a pilgrimage for veterans and families to say goodbye to those they lost, to pay their respects, and to reassure themselves that their loved ones and comrades were remembered and missed. The polished marble shows the reflection of those looking at the wall, making it an intimate experience. So I agree with not including the names of living living veterans. I get it's called the Veterans Memorial, but because the wall has the names of the dead, the people who can't actually be here, then that allows the survivors to come and meet them. And it's like a face-to-face, one-on-one. Oh, yeah, it's very... And it is It's intimate, it's personal, and it's a place to say goodbye or, hey, I miss you or remember that one time. Anyone who has visited the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall knows it is a deeply special and emotional place. 
I went there, I think, when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. See, I don't think I've ever been there. And we'll have to hit it on our herstory yes. adventure. We'll have to do a, a tour of her own and then just stop at the Vietnam right, Veterans sure. Memorial. <laughs> we'll have to find Sharon Lane. Her name would be on there. Well, hers would be on the female one. There's not a female one. I thought one. you said there was one for the They added the a statue later to oh, honor female veterans. I thought you meant they like added a separate wall. That would be all kinds of fucked up. Right? I would no. be like they didn't include the women. Like, <laughs> Yes. <wow>. No. <laughs> oh my. I'm surprised you didn't slam your hands down. I was thinking about it. Oh my God. Okay. Well, everyone who was lost is on the wall and it's all listed chronologically by date of death or loss. So the men, the women, everyone is together. There's not like okay, the good. guy's wall, the girl's <laughs> wall, the white guy's wall, the black person's wall. Like everyone's together. <laughs> it's not super awful. But I remember going there and like you kind of go down a slope and all of a sudden everything is just quiet. Like, I feel like you almost can't even hear anything outside of that sphere. And it's just heavy, but really, it's powerful. Oh, yeah. It's overwhelming. There's there's a really powerful print. um, I just looked it up. So it's by Lee Teeter. And it's of a guy, like, in a business suit. He took his jacket off. His briefcase is there. And he's leaning up against his wall with his hand on it. And the reflection is, like, his comrades that died on the wall and they're touch and I'm like every time I- I've seen it quite a few times and now I'm looking at it again and it's very and that is it's the very touch and that's experience. exactly what they want exactly it's it's a relationship it's it's an interactive intimate experience with others so visitors commonly leave flowers wreaths and other tokens to honor those inscribed on the granite since 2001 these items have been collected the collection includes handwritten letters to loved ones who were lost and a pair of combat boots with a note that reads get ready to cry quote if your generation of marines had not come home to jeers insults and protests my generation would not come home to thanks handshakes and hugs jeers protests (laughs) I'm gonna cry. I know. But that's why this story made me cry, because it was just really powerful. It is. You think this would be Maya's crowning achievement. Honestly, she could have coasted for the rest of her life if she really wanted to. I probably would have. Yeah, I would have been like, I'm done. I would have been 80 at a bar like, hey, I'm, I designed that memorial. I'm awesome. You know? Exactly. Like, I would just cling to that. But no, Maya's a goddess. And was just getting started with her career in architecture. I was like, she wasn't even an architect yet. Yeah. She's a fucking undergrad. A B student. Like, what? Just on one project, Emily. <laughs> it was the one project she got a B on. Right, yeah. And then she second-guessed everything else. Right. Like I mentioned earlier, Maya was only an undergraduate when she designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and then went on to get her master's in architecture. Maya, who preferred to call herself a designer rather than oh, architect. That's the fine art student. Love coming it. Coming out. Yep. <laughs> had a philosophy when it came to design. She focused on using the space to create an emotional reaction rather than utilizing political symbols. Maya was also influenced by her lifelong interest in environmental activism, incorporating natural elements into her later works. She wrote, quote, I am very much a product of the growing awareness about ecology and the environmental movement. I am very drawn to landscape and my work is about finding balance in the landscape, respecting nature, not trying to dominate it. Even the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is an earthwork because it's cut into the earth. It's it's part of it. It's not dominating. It's not rising out of. It's part of it. Which again, whole mess of symbolism there too. Like. Now, if you go to Maya's website, www.mayalin.com, and it's very artsy, I wouldn't have expected anything less from her, you will find an entire timeline of her works, but I'm going to just highlight a few that I enjoyed. A lot of what I'm about to read is taken directly from Maya's website. So, Maya Lynn, I am not plagiarizing you. You (laughs) wrote most of this. (laughs) I respect you, and I love you. I especially have to say that because she is still alive, Ooh. so she could come after me. <laughs> Please don't sue our podcast. We don't, we don't make any money. You know what? I'll make you a deal. Instead of suing us, come on as a guest. Yeah. Maya, 
I'm putting the bat signal out to you. Come on as a guest. That, that would, would be awesome. That would make I me would cry. be so excited. <laughs> Tell me about your influences. Oh right. my god, I'm so overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. We'll okay. get there one day. So the first one, which I thought you'd really appreciate, is called The Woman's Table. Now, it's not the one that we've talked about, the Mm -hmm. art installation. So we can't talk about Maya Yinglin on a Woman's History podcast without talking about The Woman's Table. Located at Yale University, this fountain sculpture is dedicated to the women of Yale. It consists of a green granite elliptical table partly on top of a black granite base. Inscribed on the table is a spiral of numbers tracing the presence of women at the university by counting the number of women enrolled each year from zero to the present. Wow, that's super cool. Is there room to like keep adding too? I don't know if there is. I don't think there is. I think they might have just stopped. At a certain year, yeah. Yeah. Because I think it was just the present at the time. But I wouldn't be surprised if she left room to keep adding because she did see them adding names it is during the a Vietnam. a giant piece of yeah. granite, you said? Yes. Yeah, it's a giant piece of granite. The spiral symbolizes the beginning, but the infinite opportunity for expansion. So we can be like, the, the spiral starts here, but it could literally go on forever. Yeah. Next, the Civil Rights Memorial. Uh, this is located at the Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery, Alabama, and is another water table which has the names of people killed during the civil rights movement along with historical events etched into the top. By pairing events with the names of those who made the ultimate sacrifice to fight for a better world, the pieces, or the piece illustrates how death directly relates to progress and better legislation. This mm. was not you know, just like a peaceful, hey, we're going to hang out and sing, and then everyone's going to give us our rights. Like, people had to die for yeah. us to have integrated city buses. Like, infuriating. Fucking infuriating. It also shows that the movement was not the work of only a few well-known individuals, but a people's movement made up of many to collectively change history. Made of black granite, the table is accompanied by a 10-foot-high and 40-foot-long water wall, which bears the inscription of a quote spoken by Martin Luther King Jr., which he took from the Book of Amos. Quote, We are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied, until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Wow. The quote gives greater symbolism to the water and connotes that the struggle for equality is ongoing. Finally, the Museum of Chinese in America, or MOCA. We've talked a lot about the memorials mm-hmm. that Maya has designed because those have really cool stories, and that's kind of my was my theme for right. this. But we haven't talked much about her architecture. Earlier, I mentioned that Maya felt very out of touch with her heritage and didn't begin exploring it until later in life. Well, she had the opportunity to help others get in touch with their histories when she designed the Museum of Chinese in America. The 12,500-square-foot space located in Lower Manhattan literally bridges the cultural divide between traditional Chinatown and the contemporary art worlds of Soho and Nolita. That's super cool. Yeah. And I know I'm not super familiar with New York and how it's laid no, out. No, but I know, I know of Chinatown and I know of Soho, and yeah. apparently they're close together. Exactly. They've just got a museum in between that. Yeah, now we know. <laughs> It also symbolizes the growth from its origins as the local Chinatown history project to participating on a national level as the National Chinese American History Museum. So it started out as like a small little thing. It was all local and about the local Chinatown. And now it's become telling the whole story of Chinese people in the nation, which is amazing. The museum hosts a variety of programs, including movies, readings, performances, workshops, and more. Its permanent exhibition explores the chronological history of Chinese Americans from the 1800s to the present. I would love to go to that. Because I remember that would be really interesting. Growing up, I remember they tossed about like the civil rights movement and stuff in school. I did not learn a lot about Chinese American Mm. history. No, not at all. Finally, legacy. In 1993, a third addition was made to the Vietnam Memorial, but I think you'll be pleased. As I said, it was a statue dedicated to the women who served in the Vietnam War. Special shout out First Lieutenant Sharon Lane. 
Similar to the Vietnam War Memorial, uh, a contest was held to choose the design for the National September 11th Memorial, which is located at the former site of the World Trade Centers in New York City. Maya also participated in this contest, but this time as a judge. What? That's awesome. The memorial reflecting absence consists of two large squares in place of the fallen towers with the names of those lost in the September 11th attacks inscribed around the rims. Water flows over the edges and falls into a pool in the center of the square, signifying the absence of those lost and the iconic buildings themselves. The space surrounding the fountains is covered with trees, and I'm pretty sure there's also the museum. It's a park, and then they have the museum at the site, which I would... I think so, yeah. I was about to say I would love to go to, but I feel like I would sob through the whole thing. I still would like to go to it. I would like to try. Yeah. And then have my breakdown in the lobby like a normal person. And then we'll just go sit by the trees. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just go sit and cry in some trees. So you can't help but see similarities between this memorial and Maya's original Vietnam Veterans Memorial design because she has been hugely influential in architecture, memorials, and design and everything. Maya Ying Lin is still killing it. And one of her most recent works, which is still in progress, is a series that spans across the Western United States, exploring the historic journey of Lewis and Clark. Oh, that's cool. And it gives more cultural insight into the sites they visited. Maya's goal is to help visitors first connect with the environment and the natural world, then providing historical and cultural context. Because this wasn't just a couple of guys, like, conquesting America. Like, this was... A deep dive into nature and the environment and discovering, right. like, where are we? Where do we live? What is around us? That would be cool. I'd want to do that. This is only a snapshot of Maya's life and her work. If you want to see all of her art, architecture, and memorials, visit MayaLynn.com. And like I said, she's still kicking and she's still working on art and sculpture and everything. So I'm really excited to see what more she does. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. So, Very rare we do women that are still alive. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying because I'm like, oh I know, God, what, if like, what, if you, what if they hear this? <laughs> what if they hear this and like, Emily, you fucking bitch. How dare you? Well, then hopefully they'll come on our show and set us straight. Yeah. Maya, come on to our show and yell at me, please. I would love to be corrected. Thank you. <laughs> That's all. All right. Kelly, it is your turn. It is my turn. What you got for us? This is someone I saw on Facebook, and I was looking back, or not Facebook, Twitter. I don't really Facebook anymore. You don't participate in the Facebooks? Not really. The books of faces? Nope. The blue Fs? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so nasty. Yeah, it it really does when you say it that way. Um, If you're still a member of the blue F cult, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Her Story. Please like us at our blue F. Yeah. Come and visit us in our little blue F. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even like explicitly dirty. But it sounds sounds like it is. Here's the thing. Oh, that's funny. Blue is a dirty color and F is is a dirty dirty letter. Because it makes you think of like blue balls. Not me, but okay. Well, now it does. <laughs> yeah, because you said that. Um, someone mentioned this woman, and I can't, I couldn't find who it was. So, whoever our follower or other podcast on Twitter was that mentioned her, you know, I'm sorry that I forgot who you were. Um, but I'm going to cover. Please let us know, though. Yeah, please, please yell at me. We'll give you a shout out next time. Um, so, I'm covering Lily Parr. I have never heard of her, but I like her name. Yeah. Lily was born in a rented house in Union Street, Gerard's, Gerard's Bridge, in St. Helens. So that's in the UK. I thought you were saying Drugs Bridge. And I'm like, <laughs> no, Gerard's, what a lovely right? place. <laughs> she was the fourth of seven children born to George and Sarah Parr. Her father was a laborer at the local glass factory, and the family rented out space in the yard and rooms at their house for extra income. So when they say she was born in a rented house, they weren't renting it. They rented it to other people. Okay. Um, as a girl, Lily displayed little enthusiasm for the traditional pursuits of women. Traditional pursuits. Unsexy, Unsexy air, quotes. air quotes. Such as sewing and cookery. Why do, why do we call it cookery anymore instead of cooking? I much prefer cookery. Cookery, it, it sounds like those little dudes from Legend of Zelda. 
Oh, the co- the cokery. Yeah, co- the, the little kiwis. <laughs> yeah, I only call them kiwis. <laughs> the sad little kiwis. Sad little kiwis. I love they them. They were cute. <laughs> I um, want one. Instead, she had a fearless streak and a robust frame that allowed her to compete alongside boys. She started playing football as a girl with her brothers in St. Helens before playing for the St. Helens ladies team. Note, this is UK football, not American football. Oh, so, so you mean soccer, but I'm going to call it football because football, football, football. The U with the little hyphen above it. They actually spell it football, F-O-O-T. Yeah. Anyways. So, a little backstory. This is during the First World War in England. There was a growing interest in women's football, and Dick Kerr and company. Yep. We have... Dick, comma, Kerr and company. Good God. Parents, think your children's names through. <laughs> Uncle Dick may have been the best the guy in the world. Uncle Dick. Does not mean you need to name, name your kid Dick Kerr. No, it's Dick, comma, Kerr, and company. So I think Dick oh. was one person, Kerr was another. But the question is, are these last names or first names? I pray to God no one named their child Kerr. Like, that is a hateful parent. That is a parent who wants At their child like to fail. C-E-R-R, not C-U-R. I, I'm hoping that's a last name. Yeah. Okay, so Dick Kerr and company was the name of the Preston Munitions Factory where most women worked. And they formed... A football team. Cool. It was just the company team. Yep. Um, the Dick Kerr, not all of the women that were on their team worked there, but most of them did. So the Dick Kerr's ladies team. God, the Dickers? Ye- no, the Dick, comma, Kerr. No, you say that. <laughs> you say that. It's I know. Dick Kerr's, all right? Don't um, tell me it wasn't said that way. <laughs> uh, they regularly drew large crowds, including a famous event on December 26, 1920, at Goodison Park that drew more than 53,000 spectators. Jesus! Right? They misunderstood the posters. Right. Dicker's game? All right! <laughs> so, Lily did work for Dick Kerr and company, and she lodged in Preston with one of her teammates. So she also joined their team. So she worked there, joined the team. I don't know which way it happened, if she, like, joined the team and then worked there or what, but she did both. And she she roomed with um, one of her teammates named Alice Norris. They were very good friends, um, and they had also been teammates at St. Helens together. While she was playing for the Dick Kerr's ladies, she noted she was noted for her large appetite and almost constant smoking of woodbine cigarettes. So. I... I love this idea that, like, these extreme skilled athletes are just chain smoking. Right? Oh, no, it's good for you. Yeah. Conditions your lungs. So she was very, she was known to have, like, a really strong kick. And after joining the Dickers, (laughs) all I can hear is Dickers. Drink every time Um, Kelly tries (laughs) not to just say Dickers. Um, And she, she she led a very prolific career and she really blazed a trail for the future like her and the dickers ladies team i'm trying to like pause (laughs) um really like kind of blazed a trail into the future of women women's football okay um they were the first players on the pitch to wear shorts oh snap they were also the first ones to tour in both europe and the usa most of the money they raised for their games went to charity and over the course of the 48 years the dick her ladies played um they raised about the equivalent of about 10 million euros jesus yeah women in shorts get it done oh yeah no like she she was kind of a badass um i'm trying to find something quick i thought i had put it in my notes and i didn't oh she's six feet there we go that's what i was trying to figure out jeez that's a she's real tall That's because earlier I say she's robust, but I was like, I never actually put her. Yeah. So unlike today's women's teams back then, the Dick Kerr ladies and and Lily played against both male and female teams. Really? Yep. And she reportedly had a harder kick shot than any male player. That surprises me because we have such toxic ideas about women's bodies being gross or unclean or impure. Right. So the idea that they're playing a contact sport with men and women and no one I mean, was soccer like... soccer is less... Oh, I... I know. I keep thinking American football. Damn my Western-centric... My American-centric mind. Yeah. Not even just right? Western. Come on. So there's a quote that they don't know who said it, but it was just attributed to an unnamed professional... 
goalkeeper in the football league that blocked one of her shots. Supposedly, they said, get me to the hospital as quick as you can. She's gone and broken me flame and arm. Jeez. Just from blocking a kick. Good grief. Yeah. So she made about 10 shillings in expenses per game, which isn't much. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like much, even in old-timey British money. And she was only 14 when she joined the team. So she was real young. She's only 14? Yeah, because they, they spotted her playing at St. Helens and then were like, hey, come join our team. I kept thinking, I'm sure you said it wasn't, but I kept thinking St. Helens as being some kind of like higher education. No, I thought it was too. Oh, Don't she's worry. like 20. No, she's 14, six feet tall and yeah. breaking people's arms. Yep. She So she played left back. I don't know positions in soccer or football. <laughs> but so I don't know positions. But so she she originally played left back and then was moved to left wing in 1921 and scored a hat trick against the rest of Lancashire team. So basically she got moved and then she like owned it. She put a bobby in the barney that she did. (laughs) I say, I say. In her first year with the club, she scored 108 goals, second only to Flory Redford, who scored 170. Jesus! During her career with the Dick Kerr ladies, she scored a total of 986 goals. And if I look... So this made me mad when I was doing my research because I was like, oh, let's look at like famous soccer players. She's not, like, listed in any of the women's lists, which made me mad, like, because it's, like, Mia Hamm and, like, all, like, contemporary people that are, like, look at the people that changed soccer. And I'm, like, but what about this person? And then I looked at, like, highest ranking, like, who's scored the most goals in their career. And it's all men, but she would be ranked second if she was on there. Because, like, the top one is, like, a thousand and something. And she has 986. Okay. So she is... Allegedly the second highest scoring player of all time. And she's not even included on the list for (laughs) female players. Yep. Listicles. I know. I was like, this is really together. Like, and the only, like I tried, I was just like browsing soccer stuff. And the only time it actually, she like showed up is if I Google her name and then, and then they're like, oh, the woman that like trailblazed for football slash soccer and i'm like why is she not on anything else then the first woman to wear shorts god damn it right but i was like so she scored 986 goals total according to the bbc article she scored 43 goals for the team in her first season when she was 14 years old so that's the first season not the first year so yeah still pretty good and her career the 986 goals she scored total was in her career that went from 1919 to 1951 she wow. played for quite a long time. Good grief. I mean, she started when she was 14. Right? Exactly. What's the average career for a soccer player? Because it's not like you're, you know, 45 still playing professionally unless, I don't know, how old is David Beckham? I don't think he plays anymore, though. No, he's just like a perfume um, and watch model now. The average age is of retirement for current soccer players is 35 years old. Wow. That's actually older than I thought it was, but it, you know, I don't know. Um, We don't know anything about sports ball. Right. So as time went on, um, the number of women's leagues continued to grow until 1921 when the Football Association banned women from playing on their member grounds. Because they were too damn good. Right. Support for the women's teams declined because obviously they weren't playing at professional matches. And many, many women such as Lily continued to play on village greens and other non-associated land. So, like, she's like, no, fuck you, I'm going to keep playing. The Dick Kerr ladies then toured North America the following year, following the English ban, and were banned again on their arrival in Canada. Come on, Canada! Canada? They did tour. They're supposed to be better than us. How dare you? They did tour the U.S., though, and played nine games. They won three, drew three, and lost three against the top division men's teams. Wow. Um, Lily continued with the Dick Kerr ladies, even when they lost the support of their factory and were named, renamed the Preston ladies. Because she was like, okay, we lost support, but at least we don't have the most pervy name right? in soccer. Exactly. Um, so once they changed their names, uh, Lily decided to stop working at the factory because, you know, obviously they weren't supporting the team anymore. And she trained as a nurse and she worked at the Whittingham Mental Hospital until she retired. Jeez. While working at the hospital, she continued to play women's football until 1951. That's how she relieved Um, her stress. Right? This included taking part in another tour in France. That's insane. 
She's traveling so, all over playing soccer as a woman when no one kind of wants her to. She chose to live out the rest of her life near Preston, obviously, because that's where her team was based, in a c- town called Goosnarg. I'm sorry, what? Goosnarg. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, because it's G-O-O-S-N-A-R-G-H. Goosnarg. Stop. <laughs> Britain, just stop. Um, okay, we here, got the Here's another shocker moment for Goosnard. you. She lived with her partner, Mary, and since her death has become an LGBT plus icon. Yay! Yeah. I thought you were going to be like, Mary... Which was a boy's name. Nope. Like, I thought you were going to pull that shit on me, and I was going to be mad. Sorry. That's awesome. Yep. 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 Oh, but I bet they were just, like, really good friends who never married and lived together no, their they whole adult partner. lives. Good. Um, I wonder how open so I, they were about it. I don't know. It doesn't really say. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into some more notes just about her general playing style and, like, what people said about her. Teammate Joan Wally said in an interview um, that she had a kick like a mule. She was the only person I know who could lift a dead ball, the old heavy leather balls, from the left wing over to me on the right and nearly knock me out with the force of the shot. That's right, because these balls weren't yep. the way they are now where they're light and fluffy. Yep. Um, these are made out of rocks bound in leather. Uh, on a program, she was once described as big, fast, and powerful. It's tricky. She's tricky and can take corner kicks better than most men it is also it was also noted that she scores goals from extraordinary angles with a left foot cross drive which nearly breaks the net Jeez, i love they keep talking about how she causes damage and bodily right. harm by kicking a ball at someone right. like she's not hitting them she she was also known for her aggression not like in a bad way um, but they said Miss Lily Parr at outside left put up an aggressive game registering two goals and seven tries that she had on the net following a 4-4 draw with Washington's top male club. So, like, people were like, yeah, she's... Okay, contemporary Scotland international footballer Bobby Walker described her as, quote, the best natural timer, the best natural timer of a footballer I have ever seen. Natural timer, does that mean just, like, like, natural talent? Yeah, she was good at, like, timing her shots and, you know, yeah, so... God, that's crazy. So she lived with her partner until she died of breast cancer in oh. 1978 at the age of 73. Okay. So she had a long life. Um, she is buried in the hometown of her birth at St. Helens. And her heir, which you don't really hear much about modern people having heirs, but yeah. her heir is her nephew, Ray Parr, or Roy Parr. So that's kind of cool. I suppose because nice. she probably didn't have any kids of her own. Yeah. So legacy. There is a Lily Parr exhibition trophy. That um, Lou Hart from the Camden, Camden LGBT Forum approached the London Lesbian Knockouts team. The London Lesbian Oh, Knockout. Kickabouts. Kickabouts. Sorry. That's better. Um, so he approached, in 2007, he approached them with a view of setting up a lesbian football event in Camden for the uh, LG- LGBTQ History Month. To honor um, the women in the FA Hall of Fame before they banned women from playing football. <laughs> and the, from that, the Lily Parr Exhibition Trophy was born. And the Kickabouts played the Paris team Arc and Ciel, which means rainbow. Oh, my God. And reenacted the first match between the Dick Kerr ladies and the Paris ladies team. I love that. With, with, the, with the London lesbian Kickabouts winning 7-3. to three. Just like in history. Right. I don't know about the score, but okay. There is so much to unpack there. The London Lesbian Kickabout. Which is a great name. Is the best team name I have ever heard in my life. Right. Only the French one just being the rainbows. Right. I know. I love that. That's amazing. So the next thing um, is they announced this year, actually, in 2019, 2011. Wow. You're blocking out a lot of information. They are making a life-size statue of Lily Parr, as they describe her, the trailblazing, chain-smoking, goal-scoring winger of the 1920s and 30s. Oh, my God, That will be erected outside the Manchester's National Football Museum. That is amazing. I'm sorry, what did they call her? Uh, the trailblazing, chain-smoking, goal-scoring winger of the 1920s and 30s. That is amazing. I love it. Um, it is a female sculptor, too, doing doing the work. Good. And it's. I don't think it's out yet, but it's very 
I'll I'll put a picture on the blog. It's very like there's a picture of Hannah, the person that's making it, like working on it, and just the detail is absolutely incredible. And it's gonna be bronze. Oh my god! Bronze. So it's they're making it. Yep. It's just not completely unveiled yet. I do yet. not believe so. Again, our oh, womb no, they twin have, they action. They have unveiled it. Oh, okay. I just missed that. I was going to say, again, our womb twin action is on par because my lady casted statues in bronze when she was a kid. Right, there we and go. And your lady is having a bronze statue casted of her. Yeah, and it's it's very detailed. And it's really cool because she almost has like... It's her, because they wore a hat, apparently. That was a thing when they played football back then. They wore a hat. And, like, under her hat, she has, like, these really, like, her hair just goes down and then curls. Like, it's actually really pretty. Nice. And it's, yeah. So it's a very detailed statue. And I, um, she's the, she was the only woman to be made an inaugural inductee of the English Football Hall of Fame at the National Football Hall. Like, so that's why they're putting that statue there. Aww. So, yeah. She... I mean, I think she was a trailblazer. I think she needs to be yeah. on more fucking lists. Like, if she's breaking people's arms with the strength of her kick. Absolutely. I want that superpower. Right? I know. So she she was badass. Bad. Yeah. Cheers to you, Lily Parr. Please don't break my arm. Right? Yeah. So I found her and I was like, you know, that and she lived in Goosenark. God damn it. Oh, could you funny. have crammed any more ridiculous names into this story? I'm sure I could have. There, were, it was balanced out though by some awesome names like the Rainbows and the London Lesbian Kickabouts. Yeah, it was worth it. Yeah. You know what? I'm happy because we've come back with a positive episode after a long string of sad. Right. Well, like we had a long string of sad before the murderers, and then we were like, let's just add murderers to our long string of sad. Yeah, it's fine. People it's love fine. to hear about murder. It's fine. It's fine. I still think we should talk about what we're thankful for. Uh, you can go first. Okay, I will <laughs> go first. Um, I say this a lot, but I'm very thankful to my boyfriend. I uh, I got some jarring news this week, and I've just generally been overwhelmed. And basically. I just burst into tears from being so stressed and so overwhelmed. And he hugged me and calmed me down and then immediately was like, okay, what can I do to help this situation? And started doing some work. And that was really great. He also did dishes, which shouldn't be fucking notable. But it is. But I really needed it. (laughs) Right? It's just sometimes those little things where you're like, oh, you did something that I didn't like. I you didn't think I'd even notice, and yeah. but you did it, and it's cute. Yeah, I also got trick or treaters because again, we just had Halloween, right? And it took them forever like, to start it showing was up. <laughs> well, from when this comes out, it's fine. They can know. They can know when we're recording. Anyway, I was worried I was going to get no trick or treaters, and I actually started like getting real sad about it, yeah. and then kids started showing up, and I was really happy. So that's what I'm thankful for. Support and trick-or-treaters. I am thankful for my brother-in-law, who was down here last weekend. And out of nowhere, he just started helping me clean my house. Because he likes cleaning, which is weird. It's weird. I'm sorry. For all of you out there that like to clean, it's weird. I need that in my life, though. But yeah, he came down and he was just like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, eh, you know, you guys do go do whatever I need to clean. He's like, no, I'll help you. And I'm like... I love him I too. The wrong brother. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love my husband. God. But no, it was, it was really nice. And then we got to spend like some one on one time. And you know, like we used to be really close in college. And you know, now we live in different places and we're not as close. So it was kind of nice to also spend like some one on one time just chatting about stuff. Well, and it's not high stress hanging out where you're like, oh, we're at the mall. What do you exactly. want to do next? Oh, where are we going to go? Where are we like yeah, you so can he, kind he, of he calm took down. charge and was like, I'll wash dishes. You dry them and put them away. And I was like, OK, can we real quick <laughs> talk about decision fatigue and how real it is oh, having to 100%. decide everything is so exhausting where I've had days where I tell Jared, I'm like, I can't make decisions right now. I right. need you to fucking figure it out. Oh, yeah. And what's worse is like when you don't tell them that and you're like, okay, what do you want for dinner? And they're like, I don't know, whatever you want. And I'm like, no, you have to make a decision. I asked you the question. Like, if you want me to make a decision, we are not eating dinner. <laughs> but that's really nice when someone can just be like, hey, we're going to do something constructive. Right. I know, it was Here's nice. what we're going to do. Oh, thank God I don't have to, like, direct this whole fiasco. Right. I can just let it happen. It's been a lot easier to, like, 
Just we had a lot of personal stuff going on, so it was like that's why things got like piled up. And so now I've been able to like keep on top of it, and that's really nice too because that we have is nice. people coming over tomorrow and lots of shit, <sighs> lots of shit. House cleaning, house cleaning. But thank you for joining us on our first non-felonious female episode after Halloween. Um, if you'd like to check us out in other places, we have a Twitter that's w a h underscore pod. We have a website which is windingabouthistory.com where I post. Basically our show notes. <laughs> um, and then we also have an email address where we'd love to hear from you or about people in your life or anything. If you have recommendations for women you want to hear us cover, please send those in. Yeah, it's whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at whiningabouthistory, as I already mentioned. The blue F. <laughs> the, join our blue F funerary cult. <laughs> and... Find us on Instagram at WAHpod. And then please, wherever you listen, rate us five stars. We are growing in our listeners and it is so incredible to see. It would be even more incredible to hear from you guys and we, see We got your one reviews. on iTunes and I'll have to like read it sometime, but it like made me tear up. I was like, somebody likes us. It's, it's so helpful. It'll take you two seconds. Please leave us five star review. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.